and welcome to the podcast of the Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week we share the Bible lesson from our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. Doug has studied the biblical scriptures throughout his life and is knowledgeable in both ancient Greek and Hebrew, which makes his explanations of scripture all the more interesting and most certainly all the more accurate. Professionally, Doug is an attorney, although he considers his Bible teaching as his godly profession. We are deep into the study of the Old Testament book of Daniel, and for the last three weeks, class teacher Doug Brady has gone off on a bit of a side road to discover the rapture of the church. Today, he continues with that most important information about the rapture. Next week, we should get back into Daniel chapter 8, and we are looking forward to that. The Believer's Bible Class is part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Our class meets every Sunday morning in the lower level of the new Worship Center building in Lavorne Hall. We have coffee, donuts available from 9 to 9.15, and the teaching begins at exactly 9.15. We invite you to join us if you're in the area. Well, Doug is at the podium ready to begin, so without further announcement from me, let's go into the classroom of the Believer's Bible Class. Here now is my good friend and longtime teacher, Doug Brady. You also are going to have to listen fast today because I'm going to talk fast because I want to make sure I get through everything. And after we pray at the end, if there's any questions, I will try and answer them. Uh, I'm not going to answer too many questions as we go through. The last time we met, you remember that we considered what Paul promised the Thessalonians concerning the rapture. And we found it in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. And we're going to review that very quickly today. And then we're going to get into chapter 5. And we're going to see some very important things. And we're going to try and answer a question. Now, it's unfortunate that the person who brought that up is not here today. She suggested that maybe we would have to, as believers, go through some of the seal judgments uh, because the wrath of God has really not started to be poured out on the earth yet. Is that feasible? We want to answer that question, and I want you to know whether there's any uh, support either way. And we will go from there. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father, as we open up your book... I pray that I won't be the teacher today, but the Holy Spirit will, and that he will help us to understand these concepts, and he will give us insight as to what your plan is, Father, for this world and for your church and therefore your bride, which is us. I pray, Father, and thank you that you've given us these promises and that we can rely on them, that we will not have to face the wrath that's going to come on this earth as a result of the sin that's overwhelmingly destroying our world like a cancer destroys a human body. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, that promise I just prayed about, you can find it, one place you can find it is in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, where it says, for they themselves report about us What kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Wait for what? Well, for the rapture. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Rescues us from the wrath to come. That is the rapture. Now, Paul speaks of it again. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, we'll read through this rather quickly as a review, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. In other words, remember there's some churches that don't teach prophecy because they say it's too complex and too dividing. No, Paul doesn't go with that at all. He says, I want you to be, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who sleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, if the Thessalonians are now set on the rapture, what do you think their next question is? Their next question is going to be, what's next? Then they're going to get to the when. What's next? Well, why does somebody need to know what's next if you're going to be gone? The answer is really very simple. Is there anything that has to happen before the rapture occurs? Answer, no. It is eminent, the rapture is, meaning it is the next thing. And yet if nothing has to happen before the rapture occurs, then what's the clue that it's going to happen? Well, there is no clue. But if you know that the next thing does have clues, that is the seven-year tribulation period, which Paul calls the day of the Lord, that period is going to start if there are clues that say, when this and this happens, you know it's really near, then you know the rapture is about to happen. So, what is next? Well, it's just so interesting that we find that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Immediately after, verse 18 in chapter 4. The first verse reads this. Now as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Now, most people, when they read this, they see now as to... And they say, yeah, that's just a little transitional thing to get us over to the next thing. It's unimportant. It's just to make it sound good. That is completely bogus. This is extremely important. These first two words. Now, these first two words are translated in the New American Standard as two words. But let's look at those translations to, as to now as to. In the ESV, it says now concerning. In the KJV, it says, but of. Numeric standard we just read, now as to. NIV says, now about. In, in the New King James, it says, but concerning. Now, the, I hate to tell you this, and there's some people that will hate to hear it, but two of those translations are very misleading. Two of them. Let me try to tell you this Greek phrase, uh, two words, peri day. Peri day. And what it is, it is a transitional phrase indicating what comes next. Unfortunately, in two of those translations, it's translated as a contrasting phrase or an adversative phrase, making a comparison between something that came before. That's not the point at all. Therefore, I'm going to have to tell you, and I know there's people in here who are going to hate it, but the translators of the KJV and the new KJV with leaving but in there, which is a contrastive conjunction, made an error. Now, that really comes because the translators of the KJV were all handpicked by the Church of England, and they didn't believe in a lot of this uh, prophecy stuff. It wasn't important and it ought to be kind of just pushed aside. They followed the guy from Hippo out of Alexandria, Egypt, and they didn't support it. But in the ESV, the NAU, that is the New American Standard updated, and even in the nearly inspired version, they translate it correctly. It's transitional. In other words, we're not talking about the same thing. We're talking about something that comes next. Now, it's not something way far off. It's the next thing. It's the next logical thing you'd talk about if you talked about the thing before. So we start out 
now as to the times and the epochs. Now we saw this phrase, times and the epochs, the Greek chronos and kairos, as something in our dispensational study. And you remember, chronos is the word for chronology, the timeline. Kairos is the divisions. Uh, some translations translate it instead of epics as seasons. So it's the divisions of that chronology. And he says, you don't have to know, or, or now as to the times and epics, brethren, you have no need of it to be written to you. Now, first of all, you notice that little word, brethren. The point I want to make is, who is Paul talking to? Believers, the church, the bride, brethren, you, now the next part, Jerry, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, this Daniel is speaking of these same things, the changes in the times and the epics. Who can change that? God. Who's going to try and change that during the tribulation? Satan and the Antichrist. They will try. They will fail. Because the one in control of those is like God. Now, it speaks of brethren here. And then the next uh, slide is going to tell us, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Now, this is important to understand. Do you have no need of anything to be written to you because we're on a need-to-know basis and therefore you don't need to know this? Or does it mean you have no need of anything to be written to you because I've only fully explained this to you? It's exactly the latter one. You, I have told you about this and so you don't need me to explain it to you. But I'm going to mention to you several things that are very, very important here. Because he's going, now going to speak to them of what comes next in this time period. As we speak of Perry Day, now concerning. Now concerning what? Well, it's very important to see this. Now concerning. Now, let me go back and tell you, explain something else to you. It's kind of interesting how this happened. Do we have Acts chapter 1? I want you to look at this passage for just a second because where is this occurring? This is occurring on the Mount of Olives. Jesus and how many disciples are there with him? Eleven. One's dead. Judas. Suicide. But in the Acts... They ask him this same question. Tell us about the times and the seasons. Tell us about the times and the epics. You know, Paul said, you don't need to explain. I don't need to explain this to you because you know I've already explained it to you. They're asking him, and how does Jesus respond? So when they'd come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the epics, which the father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and even the modest parts of the world. Now, did Jesus answer their question? No, he didn't because he doesn't, they don't need to know. Why don't they not need to know? Well, I come up with these reasons. They wouldn't be able to understand it. They couldn't understand what he was explaining to them. He tried to explain it earlier in the Olivet Discourse, and they had difficulty. You know, these disciples have historically had difficulty understanding spiritual matters. Paul, on the other hand, had an extremely Jewish theological training background. He could understand the concepts of dispensations. And where did he learn about the times and the seasons? Yes, Mount Horeb in Arabia. Now, notice what Peter says about what Paul is teaching. I want you to look at 2 Peter 3. Uh, I'm going to skip down, starting in verse 15. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, Peter talking now, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things. What things? 
in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. When Peter says, these are hard to understand, who's he including in that group? Himself. This is hard to understand. He didn't understand all of these concepts. Paul did because of his background. He studied under Gamaliel, one of the top two Jewish rabbis to ever be around. And so now he's going to go over it one more time. Not one more time because he's going to do it again in 2 Thessalonians. But one more time here in this book, starting in verse 2 of chapter 5. For you yourselves know full well. Now, when you see that first phrase, you yourselves know full well, you know, we made the correct determination in the last one. Why do I not need to tell you? Because I've already explained it fully to you. Because you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just as a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and eternal security, no, peace and safety, Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. And they will not escape. You see, he says you shall already know full well. That phrase full well means in Greek with accuracy. With accuracy. You know full well. Although they later became confused and uncertain about the rapture, they know about the day of the Lord. Now... It's very interesting. Uh, They know about the day of the Lord. Do you know what the day of the Lord is? The day of the Lord equals the time of Jacob's trouble, equals the 70th week of Daniel, equals the tribulation. The seven-year tribulation. Those are all equal phrases. Now, do you remember... Did the Old Testament saints know about the church? No, it was a mystery. Did they know about the rapture? Did they know about the day of the Lord? Absolutely they did. And I'm going to prove it to you in just a minute. But I want you to see something that is important to understand here. That this letter comes out. And you need to understand not only the good guys read it, but also the bad guys read it. Shortly after this letter, another letter arrived at the Thessalonian church, the church in Thessalonica. And if you looked at the end of it, it was signed by Paul. And you know what it said? Tribulation has started. You're in the midst of it. It's happened. And they're going, wait a second. Wait a second, Paul promised we wouldn't have to go through the, the, the tribulation. The wrath of God would not fall on us. And now he's telling us what's going on. Paul had to write 2 Thessalonians and say that letter was a fake. It was a lie from the devil. In fact, he said there in several other places, if anybody tells you anything different than what I have told you, they're accursed and anathema. They need to be damned. Because that was a lie. And uh, then he sets the record straight again about what's going to happen. That he says the tribulation will not occur until two things happen. Number one, the rapture. Number two, and he just referred to it as the disappearance. But that's what it's going to be. The disappearance. And number two, the antichrist is revealed according to Daniel chapter 9. No tribulation until those two things happen. Now, it's interesting also that some people try to tie this like a thief in the night to the rapture. Will the rapture occur like a thief in the night? No. Let me ask you this. Do you and your sweet wife are laying in bed and you're sound asleep. And it's a good night's sleep. But you wake up in the morning. And let's just say you wake up at 6.30. And, you, and of course, your wife goes out a little before you. And you hear a scream. And you come running out. Everything's been turned upside down. All kinds of things are missing. You've been robbed. Are you going to celebrate? 
Are you going to be comforting her with those words? No, in fact, she's not going to be too consolable, I don't think. But anyway, you know, she's going to say, why didn't you wake up and shoot them? But be that as the case may be, this thief in the night is not about a good thing. It's not about the rapture, which is a good thing. It's about something horrible that's going to happen. It's going to catch the world by surprise. They're going to think not only the world, but Israel. And you're going to see that in just a second. So let's look at the day of the Lord because I want you to see this. This is the final fulfillment of the judgment of God upon the earth, the day of the Lord. It's a period of time during which the Lord vents his wrath and judgment on the earth. The day of the Lord, if you talked about it in Hebrew, you would use the word yom. Y-O-M, yom. That's the word for day. Now, it's interesting in Hebrew. If you take that word yom and you put an ordinal number in front of it, like one, two, or three, that means it's a 24-hour period. If you take that same word and you put a cardinal number in for it, first, second, third, 24-hour day. But if you don't put those numbers in front of it, it can mean a 24-hour day or it can mean a period of time, you have to tell, from the context. Here, the day of the Lord is not a 24-hour period. It's a seven-year period in some scholars' view. In other scholars' view, it's something close to a thousand and seven years. Now, why would, I, why would they say that? I want you to see this because it's important because we're going to have to know this to understand the rest of this passage. In the Hebrew way of thinking, Dawn, when they talked about a day in Genesis chapter 1, what part of the day came first? Evening comes first. Nighttime. Darkness. And then what comes? The morning. Now, we're different. We basically look at the daylight as the start of the day and the nighttime as the end of the day. Not the Hebrews. Why? Because they were following God's word. And evening and morning was day one. Evening and morning was day two. And so on. Now, what does that mean? Well, you have a number of phrases throughout the scripture where they use this word day. The one is a day of reckoning or the day of revenge. It's not necessarily a 24-hour period, but the same concept is true. Evening comes first, and then morning comes second. Now, what does that mean? When the day of the Lord hits, what will cover the earth? Darkness. Darkness. Yet, we're supposed to be children of the light. Darkness is coming. Yes, to eliminate light, you're going to have to take the children of light away. And then you can have pure darkness. Now, it's very interesting. What is the first light that comes up in the morning? Does anybody know what they call that? Nope, it's before sunrise. The morning star. The morning star. It seems to me Peter had something to say about the morning star. In 2 Peter 1.19 it says, So we have the prophetic word made more sure, the prophetic word made more sure, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. Who is that morning star? Jesus. Now, can we be certain of that based on this Peter passage? Maybe there's a little wiggle room, but there certainly is not in Revelation 22:16. It starts this way, I, Jesus. Any question here who's talking? I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David the bright morning star. So what is going to happen? There's going to be darkness. Seven years of darkness on the earth. And then who's going to show up? The morning star. And he's bringing with him the light and the children of light. And the next thousand years is all going to be about light. And in fact, in the final eternity, will there ever be night anymore? No. No, no night. We won't need it. We won't need to sleep. 
I've always had some people say, well, could we sleep if we wanted to? Well, I imagine you could if you wanted to, but I'm probably going to wake you up if you try to. Anyway, so the day of the Lord, unlike the rapture, was never a secret. I've listed out all the verses that I could find where the day of the Lord was referenced in the Old Testament, and I'm going to read to you a couple. Starting in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6, it starts out, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. Now, do you not know that you don't want to be a part of something if the first thing it tells you about, wail? No, you don't want to be part of wailing. And yet, that's what it says. It, it will come as a destruction from the Almighty. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. Move on down to Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 3. For the day is near. Sometimes it's just referred to as the day. For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near, and it will come, it will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. In Joel 1.15, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land hear. Look down in verse 31, and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. It's coming. Now, the day of the Lord is not a day, but a period of time, a time of judgment, a time of terror. It lasts seven years. It's a time to be avoided at all costs. It's the same time period described in the book of Revelation, chapter six through chapter 19. Now look. Again, at 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. For you yourselves know full well the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And not a welcome occurrence. It's going to be a terrible time. So Paul is going to describe for them one more time the day of the Lord, starting in verse 3. And while they were saying, peace and safety... Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness that the day will overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night. Now, the first thing I want you to do is we need to look at pronouns. Paul speaks of two groups, they and brethren, us, we. You see that? First of all, who is they that he's referring to? I think it's lim limited, less, not as wide as the world. Israel. Who is it that thinks they've got peace and safety now that they've got this treaty? Israel. Do they really have peace or did somebody lie to them, con them, take advantage of them? Usually you don't see Israel taken advantage of very much. In fact, usually never. But now that's going to happen. One of the reasons is what's going to happen at this time with all the Christians who are in Israel? They'll be gone. They'll disappear at the, at the rapture. And so other only non-believing Israelis or Jewish people will be left in Israel. And they'll make a deal with this Antichrist, with this beast. And they'll say peace and safety. But no, that won't happen. Uh, they believe they found it. In fact, Isaiah warned Israel about this. Look what he says in verse 15 of chapter 28. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have made a pact, the overwhelming scourge will not reach us as it passes by. For we have, for we have made falsehood our refuge, and we have concealed ourselves to deception. Again, in verse 18, it says this, Your covenant with death will be canceled, and your pact with Sheol will not stand. And when the overwhelming scourge passes through then you will become its trampling place. The judgment, that is wrath of God, will then come. It will be sudden, it will be without warning, and it will grow in frequency and severity. Now, look in verse 8. 
But since we are of the day, let us be sober. What is he saying there? Since we're children of light, we're not going to see the darkness of this day of the Lord. We won't see it at all. We will be someplace else. That is heaven. Look in verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation from our Lord Jesus Christ. Look again at, at 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you were also doing. Now, Don, based on your familiarity with Revelation chapter 6, and I was to tell you, he's coming back for us, Don, and it's going to be wonderful. And right before the sixth seal is broken, we're going to be taken out. Would you feel comforted by that? Well, we're going to find out in a minute why Don wouldn't feel comforted by that. But I want you to see again, this verse in chapter 5, verse 9, is repetitious of passages all over the Bible promising us to be rescued before the wrath comes. Not only in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, in Romans 5, 9, Romans 8, 1. In fact, Steve, do you know Romans 8, 1? I do not. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. You knew that. You just didn't remember it. All right. No condemnation. No judgment. No wrath. That's condemnation. Condemnation. Pardon me. For those who are in Christ. Exactly. I left that part out. I forgot that part. I get so excited sometimes. But that condemnation, judgment, wrath are all equal. We think, well, judgment, it could go either way. When you're talking out with condemnation, the judgment always goes against you. And the wrath then falls. You need to see that. Now, there are some who claim that the church will have to go through a portion of the tribulation that are referred to as the sealed judgments, the first five. And let me show you this chart here, as you can see it. This is the... the entire part of the revelation and starting here going here and you see here's the seal judgments here there's seven here's the trumpet judgments there's seven here are the vials or the bowls bowls of wrath they are the uh, next seven and then Christ is going to come back down they're saying you don't have to go through six and seven but you have to go through one through five that's what they want to suggest why are they suggesting that? Well, what they say is, look at Revelation. Revelation 6.17 says, speaks of the wrath of God. It uses the word wrath. Well, Revelation 11.18 does. Revelation 14.19, 15.1 and 7, 16.19, 19.15. All of them include that word wrath. Wrath is not spoken of before that. So, we have to go through those first five sealed judgments. Now, let me ask you. Prior to the tribulation, can you ever think of a time in history where the wrath of God fell on the earth? The flood. Does anybody say, oh, that's not the wrath of God. That's not his judgment. Oh, no, he drowned everybody but eight. Does it ever say... Anywhere in the account of Genesis 6, 7, and 8, the flood, and then the aftermath in 9, use the word wrath. No. Can you think of another time when the wrath of God maybe fell on a limited place in the earth? Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire came down from heaven with brimstone and just destroyed them completely. Wiped them out. They still don't know for sure where those five cities are. Does it say anything about wrath there? Nope. I, I looked just to make sure, did a search. I did it both in New American Standard and in King James. It's not there. But just because you don't use the word, does that mean there's no wrath? Well, we need to look before we finish because there's two key considerations here. When does his wrath commence during the tribulation period? Because if it's part way in, we could have to go through part of the tribulation. Number two, uh, 
question, that question is important in relation to the timing of the rapture. And again, you can see this chart. Now, this theory is we have to go through the first five. So we're going to start in chapter six and we're going to look. And if for each one, we'll kind of consider whether there's wrath or not. Then I saw the lamb broke one of the seven seals. Now, who is the lamb? Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you, it's really important to see this. When John has been taken up to heaven, God the Father is sitting on the throne. And he has a book in his hand, a, a, a scroll. And the announcement goes out, who's able to open this scroll? And it says, no one was found. And John starts crying. Then why in the heck is he crying? Because that scroll contains the final judgment of the earth. Has John seen people killed terribly because of sin and wickedness in this world? Yes. Is it time now for revenge? For God to avenge himself on the earth? Yes. Is he seeing all the terrible things? You know, think of it, Damaris. Would it have any effect on you if you had to watch your husband be crucified because of his faith? It would be time for God to do something. John's crying. And then they say, don't cry. Look at this. And out comes the lamb. And he takes the scroll from the father's hand. And in verse 1 here, he breaks the first of seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures cry out with a voice of summer, Come, and then behold, I looked, and a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came conquering and to conquer. Does anybody know who's riding that white horse? The Antichrist. I'm glad you didn't answer. Well, what happened? You said Christ, but you... You forgot the ante part. I'm sure that you meant to say that. Yes, I know. So, Antichrist is riding that horse. Now, wait a second. Is the Antichrist coming out riding this horse? What is he conquering? The world. Is that going to be a fun time? Is that going to be a horrible time to have the Antichrist controlling the world? I mean... Look who we've got controlling our nation right now. He doesn't compare to the Antichrist who's absolutely brilliant, but absolutely wicked and evil. Now, question. I think his conquering is going to be through subterfuge, and he's going to weaponize the agencies of government to do it for him. If you were talking about the United States, he's going to weaponize things like Homeland Security. He's going to weaponize things like ICE. He's going to weaponize things like the IRS. And you just keep going and going, and that's what he's going to do. I'm gl aren't you glad none of that's happening right now? <laughs> and uh, going on now, I want you to see this. This is very important because he's trying to be a counterfeit Christ and Satan knows that in the end time, Jesus will be riding a right horse when he appears in heaven. Now, he, I mean, he's going to maybe appear to be died and rise again. It's a trick, but he's going to try and trick people, think he came back to life after he did. Now, but going forward, here's the important thing. Who sent this guy out? Was it Satan? Jesus. When he opened the seal, it was Jesus. This is not the wrath of man. This is the wrath of God. Now let's keep going to the second seal. I want you to see that. When he broke the second seal, I heard the, seven, the second living creature saying, Come, and another, a red horse went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the world, that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. What's going to happen here is World War Three, if, if another world war hasn't happened between now and then. The whole world's going to be at war. Does that sound like wrath to you? Who caused that war? He opened the seal. Jesus did it. Now, what comes next? Verse 5. He broke 
the third seal, and I heard a third living creature say, Come, and behold, I looked, and behold, a black horse, and him who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard something like the voice in the center of the four creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, uh, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and wine. And when the lamb, uh, well, let's stop it before we get to verse 7. I want you to see what is coming there. Two things. Number one, worldwide famine. Now, there probably are very few people in this classroom who've ever really, really been hungry. Now, maybe if you were in the military and you had some of their extreme training, you've had to learn to live on hardly anything or whatever you can find in the earth as you're going along. But that's what we're talking about, extreme hunger. In addition to that, as you're going to see in a minute, from that time comes pandemic. Now, we know a little bit about pandemic, don't we? Only people are not going to be happy with me. But only now we're coming to learn that there really was no real pandemic with COVID. The pandemic came with, is coming with Moderna. And if you hate me for saying that, I'm sorry. But let's go on. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living creature saying, Come, and I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following after him. Why? Because the people that die were going to Hades. The place of the departed dead, awaiting the great white throne judgment. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, to kill with famine, to kill with pestilence, also known as pandemic, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So there's going to be a rising up of these wild beasts that you're going to have to face. They're so hungry that they're going to eat you. Well, not you, but the people who were living there. Now, I want you to understand this. We've talked about this before, but, but see this. And I use numbers that are easy for me to work with. You know, they want to say, well, there's 7.8 billion people in the world. Well, I have trouble with 7.8. I'm going to say there's 8 billion. So how many people, if there's 8 billion, are going to die during these seals? Two, Two billion people. That's 2,000 million people. Is that not wrath? Of course it's wrath. And who brought it on? Jesus. Then you say, wait, no, wait. Jesus is meek and mild and loving and, and like a lamb. He was the first time. He is not the next time. This world will pay. You know, sometimes I want to say, God, why don't you do something? Why don't you stop this? Why don't you recompense these people for the evil they've done? To children. I will, Doug, just wait. He will. And that's what we're talking about right here, when he will. Now, this is going to infuriate Satan, what God is doing here. Infuriate Satan. He thinks this is his time. He thinks this is his man. Now, can Satan take it out on God? So who's he going to take it out on? God's people. If you, at this time in history, pray to receive Jesus as your Savior, that probably means you're going to die. You're making, I can become a Christian and die, or I can live and go to hell. That's the choice. I may not understand it completely, but that is what the choice when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? What God's doing right now is not enough for them. They want more. And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been killed, would be completed also. Is God in control of that? Yeah. 
He's not come back till the last one is killed who needs to be killed as to be a martyr. They have a special crown for them. Now, let's look at the sixth seal. Because you're going to see the importance of grammatical understanding of the Greek scriptures here. He says, I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. And the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs uh, when shaken in a great wind. And the, I think meteors are going to be hitting the earth. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island are moved out of their places. Earthquake all over the whole earth. And then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders, the rich and the strong and every slave and free man. Notice slavery is going to be reinstituted worldwide. Free men hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks. And they said to the mountain and the rocks, fall on us and hide us. From the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. First of all, who's him who sits on the throne? God the Father. And who's the Lamb? Jesus. Hide us from their wrath. Now, obviously the sixth seal speaks of wrath. Now, I want you to look now very carefully at verse 17 as we read it. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? First of all, what is the antecedent of the word they, the pronoun they? The Father and the Son. Now, who's speaking here? This is very important. Dwellers of the earth are speaking. They are recognizing that this is what? The wrath of God the Father and God the Son on them. Now, because they recognize that, do they say, Father, forgive us. We want to turn to you. No, they say, you rocks, mountains, fall on us and let us die. We'd rather die than confess you. Do you see how bad these people have become? How misguided these people have become? Now, this is key. I want you to see this. It's this verb, has come. Has come. Erkomai. That means to come or to appear. The key or most important thing is the grammar here. This verb is second aorist, active voice, indicative mood. When you use a second arative with an indicative mood, this grammatical scheme does not refer to something that is about to take place, does not refer, refer to something that is taking place, but something that has taken place already. In other words, it made a previous arrival, but the perceiver is just now recognizing it. Now, I quote this guy who's whose commentary in Revelation, Robert Thomas, is awesome. It's two volumes set, one through seven, and, and then eight through 22. But what it's saying here, and this is important, these people realize when all this starts happening in the breaking of the sixth seal, not that the wrath of God has started falling on the earth, but it's been the wrath of God doing all of this before. They recognize that. And that's what that means. Is there any way we have to go through that? Absolutely not. God promises no wrath to us. And when he breaks that first seal, the wrath commences. Praise God. That's why we need to encourage one another with these words. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you're doing. How can you encourage a fellow believer with rapture information if you tell them they're going to have to go through part of the tribulation? You know, in my mind, if I had a choice, and the choice is not mine, it's God's, but if it was, Doug, you're either going to have to go through these first five seals or you can die now. I choose dying. That's better than going through the wrath of God. 
And you need to understand that. Now, I know we're not supposed to commit suicide, and I'm talking about that. I'm talking about the Lord taking me. But the fact is, it is going to be horrible in the first six seals. Now, sometimes the other things that happen are so bad that people think, well, that, that first five, that's not that bad because these others, that's only because they're so bad. But think about it. Famine, world war, pandemic, and a quarter of the people in the world die? I mean, that's what Fauci said was going to happen. But no. The, the point is, it's horrible. And it's the wrath. And we need to see that. Now, before we finish today, I want to go through some of the factors that we're seeing here about this rapture that I want you to see before anything else goes on. We're going to spend a little time probably in Daniel chapter 8 next Sunday. But you need to understand the rapture like the church was a secret from the Old Testament prophets. But was the day of the Lord a secret? No. The rapture is the next event in the eschatological chronology, meaning the rapture is imminent. Now, there's no sign or event will occur prior to the rapture coming. Don't have to break seals. Don't have to blow trumpets uh, in the trumpet judgments. Nothing will happen, can, has to happen before the rapture occurs. And the promise of the rapture shall be a great, great comfort to us. Now, the Father's plan to rapture His Son's bride allows us, the church, to escape the wrath of God that will be poured out on the earth during the entire tribulation. That is, all of the wrath. We don't have to suffer any of it. Could there be the wrath of man prior to the start of the tribulation we'll have to go through? Yes. And it's coming for America. Don't kid yourself. But the wrath of God, we will escape. The rapture ends the dispensation of the church. The rapture is different and distinct from the second coming of Christ. This event, when it incurs, will be instantaneous. And the doctrine of the rapture has been espoused by the church of Jesus Christ since its very inception. When was the rapture first revealed in history? Does anybody know? The event was in 32-33 A.D. In the upper room, Jesus told them in John 14, I am going to prepare a place for you. Now, is there any questions before we conclude today, somebody wants to ask, oh, wow, I must have explained things semi-legibly. Oh, wait, I got one over here. Yes, ma'am. I, I misunderstood. I think it said that the Antichrist has to be revealed before the rapture. The, no, no, no. The revelation of the Antichrist immediately precedes the tribulation. Not the rapture. In fact, let me show you. Turn in your Bible over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I debated whether we would study this at this time, and I decided we're going to go on with Daniel. But look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, I'll start in verse 1. Now we request you, brethren... With, the, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and gathering together to Him. What's it talking about there? The rapture. He's coming for us and He's gathering us together. That you not be quickly shaken with, from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. It will not. Let no one deceive you for it will not come unless... Now... The translation in the next word, the apostasy, comes first. That is the Greek word apostasia. They chickened out in translating this and just transliterated. Same way they do with baptizo. They just transliterated into baptism. Here, they transliterated here into apostasy. Now, if you're reading the King James, it says falling away. I think, and that's even worse translation because it, it leads you the wrong way. What that means is a departure or a disappearance. 
a departure or a disappearance. If you were in the DU when we studied the rapture, we went on at length. We looked at every place these words were used, whether it's a noun or a verb. Some people got mad or one person got mad, but that was too bad. The, the words say what they say, and, and we go on. But now look, what it's, so I'm going to say disappearance. It will not come unless the disappearance comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called object, so every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself being God. That event occurs in the middle of the tribulation where he takes the seat in the temple. But the revelation of him, the revealing of him, is when he signs that treaty with Israel for seven years, as is spoken of in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And we're going to get there, and then we'll go over that at length. So those are the things that have to happen before the start or at the start of the day of the Lord. But nothing has to happen before the rapture. And we won't know who the Antichrist really is. Nobody can know until after the rapture. So we won't ever know. And the people who are here, they won't have studied this stuff, so they won't know either. And it may be that they don't exactly tell you when the date is they signed that treaty. So you could count seven years out. Because it's going to come like a thief in the night and you're not going to know. So, good question. Really good question. Raina. Does Satan, as a fallen angel, and I'm going to say a chief angel, does he have any foreknowledge of the outcome of this battle? That's going to happen? Yes, he does. Because he keeps trying to change things. He thought, if I killed Jesus Christ, then he couldn't save the world. Did he not mess up royally? But you see, even Satan is used by God to accomplish his will. Now, I got a couple more questions. In the back, the two witnesses will be mostly in the second half of the tribulation. The first half is going to involve the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. And the two witnesses, which, by the way, I believe will be Moses and Elijah, they will show up then. Yes. Somewhere around in there. You won't see it. You'll be gone. Now, who? Yes. Jeremiah 23, 20. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until and carry out the purposes of his heart. In the last days, you will clearly understand it. Talking, I think, to two groups, one veil. The readers of that originally thought he was talking to Israel. And he was talking to Israel. Because you're going to be in the midst of that tribulation, and you're going to understand this is the wrath of God, and it's, they're coming after you. But secondly, those of us in the church will understand in the last days, we're going to be taken out. They didn't know. That was a veiled statement that no one could understand about the rapture and the church. Good, good. Anything else before we pray? That word anger is not increase, increase. Yeah, it's like the birth pangs of a woman. You know, it, it's... And, and, you know, for most people, anger, like for me, my anger goes up real fast and real high. And then it comes down real quick. Some people, it jumps up and then it, it, it gets up there more slowly and then it takes a long time to dissipate. With God, he goes up and up and up and up until it's finally consummated and is over. You don't want to have anything to do with the wrath of God. It just keeps getting worse and worse. You think, well, that's over. I'm going to have some respite. Oh, no. It's coming and it's going to get even worse. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you that we could do this study. I thank you that we could try and answer these questions. I pray, Father, that everybody will have a hope, uh, an understanding of this blessed hope we have of the rapture, that you're coming to rescue us, that we won't have to see your wrath or be here when it falls upon the earth. Father, between now and the time that it comes, Help us to be aware acutely of the opportunities you give us to witness to others so that they won't have to go through the wrath either. Help us to be vigilant in seeing opportunities to show your love and forgiveness, your grace and your mercy 
Because when that time comes, there will be no more mercy. How horrible it would be to live through a time when there's no mercy from you. So help us to enable others to take advantage of it now. I pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.